You're listening to Sermon Audio from First Baptist Church of Van Walsteen. For more information about First Baptist Church and our services, please visit www.fbcva.com. Amen. Let's take our Bibles and turn to John chapter 3 this morning. I hope that you'll join me there. I want to thank you for being here this morning. Thank you for staying. Some of you may have walked in the room and thought, where in the world am I going to sit? Uh, it's a good. We know it's a crowded day when Marshall Rose and Andrew Harlow are on the front row, right? Um, I think they're doing that just to try to win a chili cook-off or something. They're thinking God's going to show them special favor or something like that. I don't know. But, uh, yeah, this is a bit of an unusual Sunday for us in many respects. Uh, it's a great time. Great opportunity for us to, uh, so many people participating and helping and donating and giving and all those things in an effort to uh, allow kids, students to go to camp uh, later this summer. And so we're grateful for that opportunity. Uh, If you are not in the habit of bringing your Bible to church, can I encourage you to do that? Uh, I'm old enough to remember when we actually had to bring a good old-fashioned hard copy of the Bible. Um, Like this one, it's like bound in leather and has paper. Uh, uh, I'm not... uh, I'm not one of those, though, who would say uh, I'm opposed to you bringing it on a device so long as uh, you're not tempted to sit there and scroll through your Facebook feed uh, during the sermon. Uh, That might hurt my feelings a little bit, Um, but um, unless you quote me uh, in a favorable... No, I'm just kidding. Um, Uh, We're going to look at John chapter 3 today. We're in a sermon series called Person of Interest. This is a study of the gospel of... John, last week we wrapped up chapter 2 where we saw the animal sellers and the money changers. Uh, They had set up a lucrative business in the place of worship. They were making a mockery of the temple and specifically the court of the Gentiles uh, with their excessive profiteering. And because of that disordered, misplaced worship, uh, we find Jesus uh, very passionate, righteously indignant. Cleansing the temple, driving out this misplaced business venture. Um, Some days are simply unforgettable. If you were to take a few moments right now, you could probably identify certain days over the course of your life that you would circle and say, that day for this reason is unforgettable. Those milestone kind of moments, those big days. It might be because that day brings bad news and takes us to a place of sadness and grief that we can only describe as the depths of despair. Other days are unforgettable because they stir our hearts with such intense happiness and excitement and joy that we can hardly contain our emotions. It's on those days that we shed tears, not tears of mourning, but tears of joy. And like all of you, I've experienced both types of unforgettable days. I remember when we first found out that we were expecting each of our four children. Uh, I remember uh, the doctor's office confirming the news and uh, naturally scheduling us for the first sonogram. And I remember seeing my children's heartbeat blip on the screen and hearing that heartbeat for the first time and instantly feeling overwhelmed with love and joy. Pregnancy is a time of waiting, of anticipation. Even uh, as you rejoice at the new life God has created in the womb, you are waiting for the emergence of that new life into the world. 
Interestingly enough, we had a young couple in the early service this morning. She's about a week past her due date. Uh, some of you intimately know who I'm talking about this morning. Uh, the McMakins are waiting on another uh, grandbaby. And I, I told her, I said, you know, the message would have been much more effective had you gone into labor during the sermon. <laughs> because what we're really talking about here this morning in John chapter 3 is new birth. New birth. Could there be anything more exciting? In John chapter 3, we're introduced to a very famous man in John's gospel who will actually return in chapter 7 and later in chapter 19. It is Nicodemus. He's introduced to us here as a man of the Pharisees, a ruler of the Jews. This means he was a part of a theological party known as the Pharisees and that he had a seat on the Sanhedrin, which was a 70-member ruling council that governed the Jewish people. This was a, a group of which Joseph of Arimathea was also a member. So later in the conversation here in John chapter 3, Jesus calls Nicodemus the teacher of Israel, which would indicate to us that he was probably a fairly well-known rabbi in that time. And Jesus tells Nicodemus that he needs a new birth. He needs to be born again or born from above, to be born of water and spirit in order to see and enter into the kingdom of God. It appears that Nicodemus does experience this new birth eventually, probably by chapter 19. But here is perhaps just the beginning of the pregnancy, we might say. You see, Nicodemus is showing interest and is coming to Jesus with his questions, but he clearly doesn't understand or respond in faith to Jesus' message. So depending on how we measure the passing of time in the Gospel of John here, it could have been as long as three years between this conversation and John chapter 19. You see, sometimes these kinds of spiritual pregnancies can have a long gestational period. In fact, that may be your testimony. Uh, if you're a follower of Christ today, you may go back over your life story, your, your spiritual journey, and you would say, well, there were seeds planted way back when, but there wasn't new life. I didn't come to faith in Christ until many years later. Maybe it was in your college years that some seeds were planted, or your high school years, or even earlier, but it wasn't until much later in life that you actually turned from your sin to faith in Jesus Christ. Maybe you're praying for someone right now, and you know that seeds have been planted in their life, but, but they've not yet come to believe. That may be you this morning. Maybe you're searching, maybe you're seeking, maybe you're intrigued by this person of interest that is the, the central figure of all of Scripture and of the Gospel of John here, this Jesus of Nazareth. Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night, probably to avoid detection, suspicion from some of his colleagues. His reputation uh, certainly would have been a, a consideration. He addresses Jesus as rabbi, which is a, a term of respect. Considering Jesus had no formal training in the rabbinical schools of that day. Nicodemus indicates that he has come because he has seen and heard of the signs that Jesus had done. Now John has only recorded one sign so far. That is the turning of water into wine at the wedding at Cana in Galilee. So Nicodemus' words are an indication John's being very selective in what signs he reports. After all, he, he will only report seven signs, each of which has vital significance for understanding the person and the ministry of Jesus. Remember the very reason why he writes this gospel, so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, and that believing you may have eternal life. 
So Nicodemus knows that no one would be able to do the signs that Jesus has done unless God were with him. So he says, we know that you are a teacher come from God. Probably speaking on behalf of some of the other Pharisees and other members of the Sanhedrin. They were taking notice that this was a different kind of person. A different kind of teacher. A different kind of rabbi. Let's pick it up in verse number 1. Of John chapter 3. We'll read down through verse 15. And so if you're familiar with, with scripture, uh, if there is a verse that you probably are familiar with, it's John 3.16. And so we're going to run right up to John 3.16. And then Jason's going to preach next week as a part of our D-Now weekend. Uh, I really want to encourage you to be here. You might consider, if you don't have kids involved in D-Now, jumping over to the early service. Now, that's just a slight nudge. Okay, So if you think it's a little crowded in here this week, Um, it has the potential to be every bit as crowded next week. And so uh, that's just a side note. Uh, But it's going to be a great time. Jace will be preaching in both services next week, and we'll be picking picking it up in verse 16 and 4. But this morning, verses 1 through 15, let's look at it together. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God. For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. And he gives some explanation. He says, the wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? Jesus answered him, are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness of what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life." It's interesting in Scripture uh, that we can quickly highlight uh, the big events in Jesus' life and ministry. When he's ministering to large crowds of people, uh, throngs of people are gathering around, feeding of multitudes and those sorts of things. And yet John also records for us what really is a very intimate conversation here with a religious leader of Jesus' day. And they have an interesting, even an odd conversation I want us to first uh, ask the question, what is the new birth? What is the new birth? This whole idea, this terminology of being born again became uh, a little more popularized a number of years ago when people were talking about, uh, I've, I've been born again. I'm a born again believer. Some of you remember the, uh, the, the presidential campaign of Jimmy Carter. That, it kinda, that was highlighted, it seemed like, in some interviews that he gave and things of that nature. What is the new birth? Well, Jesus cuts right to the chase in this conversation with Nicodemus. Doesn't engage in pleasantries here, uh, thanking him for the compliment or commending him for his insight. He tells Nicodemus, truly, truly, 
I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So whenever you see words repeated in Scripture, that's very important. It's for emphasis' sake. If you're familiar with the old King James Version, it would say they're verily, verily. That comes from the word veracity or truth. That, that's what Jesus is getting at. This is true. It's like saying, amen, amen. Jesus uses the expression 25 times in the Gospel of John, and it's a solemn confirmation for what is being said, and it it makes the point that it's very true and very reliable. Today, in our common way of saying things, we might say, you can trust me on this. You can take this to the bank. Okay, There's a number of different ways we would say, what I'm about to tell you is verifiably true. Okay, This isn't something that I, I saw on the Internet or my friend posted on Facebook. I mean, what I'm telling you is true. Clearly, anything that Jesus says after a double truly uh, is critically important. So despite its importance, Nicodemus obviously has no idea what Jesus is talking about. He responds by asking, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Now, some people think that Nicodemus does understand Jesus... And he actually responds the way he does because it seems to Nicodemus that a fundamental, total life change for a grown man, even an old man, is is as impossible as entering back into his mother's womb. Today, we would maybe say it like this. It's hard to teach an old dog new tricks. Okay, If someone was firmly entrenched in their religious way of life, their way of thinking, and, and those kinds of things, it would have been a guy like Nicodemus. Okay, He comes to Jesus with some baggage, to be sure. Okay, so, so when you think of a complete life change, language like new birth and those kinds of things, uh, I'm sure that there was some of that thinking there. Others uh, see Nicodemus' question as kind of an arrogant, maybe even a condescending dismissal of Jesus' teaching. I don't know that it has to be fully one or the other. Uh, there's probably a little bit of both mixed in there. But I think Nicodemus is, is clearly expressing some confusion here. Obviously, he doesn't think Jesus literally means re-entering and re-emerging from the womb. But he really doesn't have a clear idea of what Jesus means. And, And I think Nicodemus is confused because Jesus responds to him by clarifying what he meant by born again. So what is this new birth that Jesus says is required before we can enter the kingdom of God? He explains again with a truly, truly... Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. So what is the new birth? It's being born of water and the Spirit. Now, sadly, Nicodemus doesn't seem to understand that explanation any better than the original expression of being born again. And you might be thinking the same thing this morning. This may be really strange language for you. This idea of being born of water and Spirit... It's not any clearer than than being born again. Or perhaps even more dangerously, you might think this morning that you know what is meant by born again. And to you, you simply uh, think it means making a decision for Jesus or walking an aisle or shaking a preacher's hand or filling out a card or uh, making sure your name's on a membership list at a church or, or something of that nature. You might think then that water and the Spirit are references to the water of water baptism and the Holy Spirit. and We have to be careful that we don't miss the whole point of what Jesus is teaching here. Jesus says we cannot see the kingdom of God unless we are born, again, that we cannot enter the kingdom of God unless we're born of water 
and spirit. So this new birth is a precondition, something which must happen to us or inside us in order for us to be able to see that Jesus is Lord and be able to place our faith and trust in him and enter into his kingdom. Now, understanding what Jesus means here requires us to put ourselves in the situation of this nighttime conversation. We need to try to enter into the context of what's happening here in this conversation. Jesus obviously expected Nicodemus to understand what he was saying when he referenced being born of water and spirit. Now, now what would Jesus, what would Nicodemus have been expected to understand? Well, the scriptures available to Nicodemus as a teacher, as a rabbi, which he taught to Israel, included the Old Testament book of the prophet Ezekiel. Ezekiel chapters 36 and 37 are very helpful as a background for understanding this teaching of Jesus. It's very likely what Jesus had in mind when he used this kind of language with a guy like Nicodemus. I mean, the way Jesus was was presenting this was as if, I'm going to talk your language for a minute. Okay, It's kind of like with us today. If we're going to share the gospel with someone, we kind of need to contextualize it in a way they can best understand it. right? Not change the message. We just need to contextualize it in a way that it's understood. That's what's happening here. Ezekiel 36, 25 through 27, is the only place in the Old Testament where water and spirit are mentioned together. It says there, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness. And from all your idols, I will cleanse you. It goes on to say there in Ezekiel, and I will give you a new heart. And a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. So with that in mind, water is cleansing from sin, from uncleanness, from idolatry. It is spiritual cleansing or forgiveness. Spirit is then the new spirit put within God's people, which is the Holy Spirit. I will put my spirit within you, it says. But it's also our spirits being made alive. In fact, if you're familiar with Ezekiel's prophecy there, you know that in chapter 37, God shows Ezekiel a vision of a valley of dry bones brought together by the word of the Lord and then brought to life by the spirit of the Lord. Nicodemus should have known Ezekiel 36 and 37. He should have known that God's people needed to be cleansed of their sin and made spiritually alive in order to enter the kingdom of God. But apparently he had missed that. As I've often said in this series of messages, Pharisees are really great at missing the point. And this is a classic example of that. So why do we need the new birth? Is this something that Jesus presents as just optional? I don't think so. Nicodemus probably didn't think that God's chosen people, the Jewish people, needed this kind of radical internal change. He probably held to the majority view of Jewish teachers in that day, which held that all Jews would be brought into the Messiah's end times kingdom of glory unless they were guilty of apostasy or scandalous wickedness. So for a man of Nicodemus' educational background and his prestigious position and his religious devotion and his obvious outward moral impeccability, the idea that he needed to be cleansed of sin and made alive spiritually was preposterous and probably on some levels a bit offensive. So the single biggest thing that keeps most people from seeing the truth about Jesus 
and his kingdom and the good news of his gospel is this firmly held belief by people today, especially that we are basically good people and that we're okay on our own and we'll probably make it to heaven on our own merits. That's simply not true. Most people seem to think that as long as as you're not a hardened atheist or a notoriously wicked person like a serial killer or Adolf Hitler, then you'll be okay and you'll get into heaven. But that's not what the Bible teaches. What Jesus says here directly contradicts the thinking uh, that Nicodemus would have had, and he introduces it again with this truly, truly. That's, That's emphasized for a reason. Each time, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. So the reason, quite simply, is that we're not okay. We're not okay. We're not fine. On our own, we are guilty and spiritually dead. We sin against God continually, and we place ourselves and our interests and our desires at the center of the universe, and this is not okay. God is most glorious, and he alone can be at the center of the universe, and he alone must be the focus of our lives. So ignoring him and living for ourselves is not some small, unimportant problem. It is the spiritual death and condemnation that keeps us from seeing and entering the kingdom of God. So Nicodemus and others like him thought that being born in Israel to the Jewish people would guarantee them entrance into the kingdom of God. Essentially, their ethnicity was was all they needed. Some people today think that being born into a, quote, Christian family makes you a Christian by birth. But Jesus said, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. In other words, sinful human beings can only give birth to sinful human beings. Only the Spirit can breathe spiritual life into someone. I know that's that's a hard pill to swallow in some respects, especially when you think back to when your kids are born or maybe your grandkids, you're looking at them and you're thinking, this little bundle is perfection personified. Right? I mean, you're just like... You're looking at those little fingers and toes and that little nose, and I mean, you're just like, you're just enamored. But the spiritual truth is this that precious little bundle is a bundle of depravity. I, I know that that may be a hard way to look at it, and you certainly are not singing, you little bundle of depravity, depravity. I know you don't sing that song to them, but think about it. You don't have to teach a kid to be selfish, do you? There's not a parent in this room who said, well, I remember that day I sat my son down and said, son, now here is how you think more about yourself than other people. Here is how you do everything you can to get your own way. Here is how you use people and love things. That that lesson does not have to be taught. It comes naturally. It comes naturally because we are born with what's called a sinful nature, a sinful bent. And that's what Jesus was getting at here as he's talking to Nicodemus, a guy who had an impact, I mean, an amazing religious resume. If anybody could point to his religion and his, the things that he had done and his education, it would be a guy like Nicodemus, much like the Apostle Paul before he was converted on the road to Damascus. Some of the very same things could be said of him. And so then where does this new birth come from? 
Is this just an individual kind of gritting their teeth and turning over a new leaf and determining to be a better person? Because, let's face it, in today's culture, that's many times how we hear the language of new birth. You hear of an actor whose uh, career was restored. They, they were reborn. Or an athlete who kind of took a dip in predictivity, but then all of a sudden they kind of you know, found, found, found their second wind or whatever, and, and, and their career got, got, was reborn. That, that's not what Jesus is talking about here. He's saying you need to go from being spiritually dead to being spiritually alive. So if we so desperately need to be born again, if we need to be born of water and spirit, how does this happen? Where does this new birth come from? Jesus explains it in verses 6 through 8. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. And then he explains. The wind blows where it wishes. And you hear it sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit, who is the Spirit of the sovereign God, we would say the third person of the Trinity, is the author of spiritual life. And he is not controlled by human beings. So Jesus is making a point using nature. The wind. I mean, think about it. There are people who go to school. They study meteorology and all those things. We call them weathermen, weatherwomen. They, they, they try to predict the weather. They look at the patterns, and they use different instruments and radar and all the different things that they have at their disposal today to predict the weather. But the truth is, they can't control it. If they could, then they would see one of these impending storms coming on the West Coast or on the East Coast. They would say, let's put a stop to this. The last thing we need in this country is another hurricane. The last thing we need across the Midwest is a, another series of tornadoes destroying homes. Let, let's put a stop. They can't do that. All they can do is tell you that it's coming, right? They have a good idea that it's coming, but they can't control it. And so Jesus is making that point here. The language here may seem a bit confusing. You see, in, in the original language of the Greek, the same word, pneuma, is actually used for spirit and for wind, the wind is a type of the Holy Spirit. So, and then Jesus is talking here about the spirit of man, the Holy Spirit. So the word pneuma is actually used in this passage to describe three things. The Holy Spirit, spiritual life in people, and the wind. So despite that possible confusion, the meaning of Jesus' teaching here is pretty clear. You can't control uh, the, the wind, and so you can't control or even really predict the movement of the Holy Spirit and to whom he might give the gift of life. People have tried for years to manipulate the Holy Spirit. There's always a tendency on the part of a preacher when you're preparing a message and you're uh, standing in front of a group of people. It's like, man, if I, if I could just somehow bring conviction to the human heart, we would see people come to faith. And, That's not my job. I can't do that. All I can do is faithfully, uh, clearly present the truth of the Word of God. The Spirit of God is the one who does the work. That's not my work. And so some pastors, they get all bent out of shape and they feel down and depressed because they're not seeing visible results and all those things. Trust me, God is working in ways that we will never know or never see. Once in a while, God graciously pulls the curtain back just a little bit and gives us a glimpse of some of the things that he's doing in people's hearts and lives. If he allowed us to see all of those things, then I can guarantee you we'd be overcome with pride. 
It's the work of the Lord. Can't control it. So the gift of the new birth is the sovereign, uncontrollable, unpredictable work of God, the Holy Spirit. So what difference does the new birth make? We can't predict or control the Holy Spirit, but we can know both the source of the forgiveness and the life that the Holy Spirit gives people and the effect of the Holy Spirit giving this life, just as we can see the effect of the wind. So while we can't control the wind, we can see the effects of it. All you got to do is look out in your backyard and you see your fence down, right? Or you, you turn on the news and you see utter devastation. I mean swaths of, of devastation through neighborhoods as a tornado makes its way through there. You, you look at what happens when a hurricane hits the coast and those kinds of things. You see the effects of it. The Holy Spirit is able to give the gift of life to people because of what Jesus has done on the cross. And the key effect that we see in the lives of those given new birth is that they begin to look to Jesus in faith and begin to look more like Jesus. Fundamentally, we call that bearing fruit. Bearing fruit. One of the ways that you know a tree is alive you know what kind of tree it is, is by the kind of fruit that it bears. It's bearing fruit. That's naturally what happens with that type of tree. And that's what happens when someone is in Christ, when they've been awakened, made alive by the Holy Spirit, when they've been born again. It's not just a religious experience. It's not just some, I had this emotional experience one time in a service and it's much more than that. So where do you see this connection between the new birth and the cross of Jesus? Well, it comes at the very end of this passage here. Notice what Jesus says to Nicodemus. No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. It's one of the most explicit explanations of an Old Testament picture, an Old Testament type. The anti-type found in the person of Jesus Christ himself. Jesus says that he alone is qualified to bring heaven's good news to earth because he alone has ascended into heaven. He has come down from heaven to bring the good news of new birth and eternal life. Then Jesus tells Nicodemus how he will accomplish the work of salvation by being lifted up. Jesus takes Nicodemus from the prophet Ezekiel back to Numbers. During the wilderness wanderings of the Exodus, the people of God began to grumble and complain, which they did uh, over and over again. Why have you brought us out of Egypt to die in this wilderness? There's no food. There's no water. We loathe this, worth, with this worthless food, it says in Numbers 21.5. They actually called manna from heaven worthless food. Their unbelief, their selfishness, their rebellion were unbelievable. Except that we see the same thing in our own hearts. That same propensity. God judged the people's unbelief there in the wilderness and their selfish complaining with fiery serpents, we're told, which came among the people and bit them. Then as relief, God told Moses to make a bronze serpent and lift it up on a pole. Those of you who are in the medical industry, you're familiar with this symbol, this, uh, the picture here, right? Okay, the serpent on the pole. That's where the, it's, it comes from this right here. 
So whoever looked to the serpent on the pole would be saved from judgment. Jesus was telling Nicodemus that this bronze serpent was a picture of him and of his saving work. (laughs) Nicodemus, of course, could have no idea that Jesus was talking about the cross and of dying on the cross in shame. But he, he should have been able to learn this one thing from Jesus. Whoever believed in Jesus would have eternal life, saved from judgment by God's anointed Messiah. Of course, accepting that truth would require Nicodemus to see his own heart reflected in the action of the Israelites in the wilderness, to see his own selfishness and complaining and sinful rebellion and his deep need. Such insight into the state of our own heart is the work of the Holy Spirit. So my question to you today is, what do you see? What do you see? Maybe you're a lot like Nicodemus in the sense that that you're here this morning and and you see your religious resume. Maybe there are certain boxes that you've checked off over, over time. They're good things. But maybe that's what you're clinging to. That's where your hope is found. In just religion. What do you see? One clear sign of the Spirit's work is that we are enabled to see spiritual realities. The Spirit was starting to work in Nicodemus, which is why Nicodemus was able to recognize the works Jesus did as works of God. This this is different. This is unique. Now, he didn't yet grasp the full significance of who Jesus was or, or what he had come to do, but he was starting to see some truth. And maybe that's where you are this morning. Maybe over the years you've been exposed to the teachings of Jesus. Maybe you've been exposed to, to some scripture. And there are little bits and pieces that, that, you, that you've familiarized yourself with. But yet you've, you've yet to put the pieces together. Like how does some of this weird stuff in the Old Testament fit with the New Testament. And where we live today. And, and all of those things. God will reveal all that to you. Through his word and by his Holy Spirit. So it may be that you're here today and you're just seeking. You're searching. You're trying to sort out some of these things. But do you see your need for new birth? Do you know that only the Holy Spirit can cleanse you of your sin and make you alive in Jesus Christ? Do you know that only Jesus' death on the cross is enough to wash away your sin and bring you to a right relationship with God? You see your need of him? Jesus said that everyone who believed in him has eternal life. For the gift of seeing your need and trusting in him to save you is given by the Holy Spirit. It's new life, life from God. So if we could for just a moment bow our heads and close our eyes this morning as we pause long enough to consider what God is saying to us through his word today and by his Holy Spirit Maybe you find it fairly easy to identify with Nicodemus in the sense that you would consider yourself a pretty religious person. Maybe you're pretty quick to acknowledge the fact that there is a God. Or maybe you come today with a lot of uncertainties in that. 
your spiritual condition, what we would say is the condition of your heart is what is most important. When I say the condition of your heart, I'm not just talking about whether you're sincere or not. My hope and prayer is that you can identify a time in your life where you saw your need for a Savior. And came to understand that you can't save yourself. Scripture says very clearly, it's not by works of righteousness which we have done. But according to his mercy, he saved us. By the washing of regeneration, there's that water language. The renewing of the Holy Spirit. It's by grace that you're saved through faith. That not of yourselves. It's the gift of God. It's not of works, lest any man should boast. If you're here today and you're uncertain about your relationship with God, I would love to open God's word with you and share with you, help you better understand how you can know Jesus Christ, not just as a historical figure, a great teacher, but as your Savior and your Lord, and how you can be brought into a right relationship with God, reconciled to God through faith in Jesus Christ. There may be others here today who would say, Pastor, I'm so grateful that my testimony is one of faith in Christ. I can identify a time in my life where I acknowledge my sinfulness. I turn from my sin to faith in Jesus Christ. While I'm not yet all that God wants me to be, by the grace of God, I am not what I once was. I've been made alive through faith in Jesus Christ. You may even describe yourself as a born-again believer. That's biblical language. That's my prayer for you. So, Father, we thank you today for your word. Lord, we thank you for intimate conversations like this recorded for us under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit through the pen of John. conversation between the Lord Jesus himself and a very religious man, a person that anyone would label as righteous by the world's standards, would likely be given awards for good behavior, for his morality, all those things. And yet Jesus says to him, in the quietness of that evening, Truly, truly, I say to you, you must be born again. You need new birth. So my prayer today is that if there's anyone here today that has never trusted you as Savior and Lord, maybe someone watching online this morning that does not yet know you as Savior and Lord, I pray that by your Holy Spirit and the power of your word, they would be drawn to you today. Lord, we thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from First Baptist Church of Van Alstine. For more information about our church, visit www.fbcva.com.